that census should be taken at the entire world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was not in Syria, and everyone went up to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the household and land of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was forcibly married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray, please, that you would, um, yeah, as, as we hear this very ordinary birth, uh, described in very ordinary ways, uh, please would you um, show us just how extraordinary uh, the comfort and the joy that's held out in these verses are for us uh, today. Please would this ancient story uh, be a living and active reality uh, for our hearts this morning that might transform us and change us. Uh, because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, partly because uh, nativity, or the nativity stories become so familiar, so saturated uh, by it, uh, it's very hard for us at uh, a time like this to really, really see it uh, for what it is. Um, whether that's because of the, you know, the knitted nativities, or the wooden nativities, the decorative ones, the, the Lego nativities, uh, or just the general reality that in our culture, nativity tends to mean nostalgic memories of school productions, or nightmares because you're the one that has to arrange and organise those productions. And the nativity story that Luke has put before us, or part of it before us this morning, uh, it's just easy to kind of dismiss, uh, to, to push to one side. We use this illustration many times, but like the nativity scene in Market Square, if you know where it is, it's pushed to the edge, uh, away from the activity and the busyness and the glamour, I guess, of a Christmas market in Market Square and in our, our lives as well. Uh, but Luke, as he records the, the original nativity, nativity, as he puts this story before us, uh, he writes it because he wants us to be certain that Jesus is our Saviour King. Uh, just flick back in the, your Bibles, just to chapter 1 uh, of Luke's account, and look at the first four verses. Uh, and listen to what he says. We've read this a few times as we went into the book of Acts, but it's worth seeing it again. He says this, look, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Uh, Luke's an uh, has recorded eyewitness testimony. I, I suspect he sat down with Mary and Joseph and talked to them, like, what's your account of what happened? Uh, he wants us to be certain of what we know about Jesus, certain that it's true, certain that we can build our lives upon it, confident that he is the Saviour King. Certainty about Jesus the Saviour King. And even in this very ordinary account, 
these first seven verses, where it's really a political description and then travel itinerary, we see some remarkable things as to why we can be certain about Jesus. Because first, we see the reign of God. The reign of God, uh, particularly in verses 1 uh, through 5. Now, when I was growing up, uh, back in the 80s, so some of you will know about this as well, there was a show called uh, Let's Pretend, uh, where the presenters would go around a uh, house or uh, find household items uh, and then make up a story to entertain us using those household items. And I think for many, many people, they assume that's what's happening in the story of Jesus. Uh, there might be some sort of truth, they say, to this young couple uh, moving. There's certainly overwhelming evidence that Jesus was a historical figure in history that did remarkable things. Uh, so let's take that remarkable man and, and this, this story, and we've kind of got carried away with the ordinary. Uh, we're getting carried away with gods coming down and angels and shepherds and, and virgin births and all the rest of it. <coughs> it might be a comforting metaphor, but it really isn't anything, really. It's just a game of let's pretend. The problem is, that's not what Luke thinks, is it? Like, he keeps insisting that the events are real. Notice he doesn't embellish. If you want to read some embellishment of the Christian story, uh, you could read the Gnostic Gospels that came out a few hundred years later, which are full of embellishment. But Luke just writes very ordinarily, doesn't he? There's no hint of a metaphor. He just says, when Caesar Augustus was <coughs> issued a decree, that was when Quirinius was governor of Syria, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. He locates the story in a particular time and place. He's giving his friend Theophilus, who he's writing for, a timestamp. Do you remember Sirius Augustus and Quirinius? They, at, at that moment, at that moment in particular history, that's when Joseph and Mary travelled up to Bethlehem from Nazareth. That's when they walked the 90 miles uphill to go and register, as they were told. Uh, some of you will know that there's some difficulty with the dating uh, with um, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. And often that comes out with scholarly debates like this can't be true because these things didn't happen then. There are really excellent answers to that debate. Uh, if you want to ask me about that particularly, um, it's, it's really quite easily explained. Now Luke, Luke is a first-rate historian. And he locates the nativity in history. The Christmas story is extraordinary, but it is also ordinary. It's, it's a historical story. It happened in a particular time, in a particular place. This is not once upon a time. This is, do you remember when Biden met with the G7 leaders at the time Sadiq Khan was mayor of London? At that moment, this happened. The office would have known all of it. wants us to be certain that these events really happened. See, contrary to popular opinion, 
the nativity story is actually the one real story amidst all the distractions. See, the irony is that Christianity being the metaphor that we cling to really isn't the festivities of Christmas, the distraction. The tinsel and the the magical stories and Santa and uh, all those things that we get caught up with. Distracting us away from the reality. Perhaps our problem with the nativity story is that it is just told in such an ordinary way. There's no love actually about this, is there? <laughs> See, we actually play the game of let's pretend at Christmas, don't we? But we do it by filling our life with distraction. And Christmas is kind of entertainment and distraction on steroids, isn't it? The food, the TV, the films, the parties, the drink, the activity, the presents, the endless stories about Santa. In many ways, our secularising of the festival screams at us, we're pretending. We're making ourselves feel better, we're distracting ourselves, we're turning up the heating, making ourselves feel cosy when we really know that outside it's perishing. The reality is, well, it hits us in January, and that's why January is so hard for so many, isn't it? See, look closer, says Luke, at this nativity scene, and he's trying to communicate as he tells of Mary and Joseph and the travel plans and locates them at a particular time. This, is, this really happened. But look closer again, and it's not just that it really happened. It really describes to us, I think, that God's in charge, that he's the one who's reigning. See, you read verse 1 and 2, look down at those with me. It is a timestamp. Luke wants to locate it in history. And it looks like the reason that Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem is because of Caesar Augustus. If you don't know about him, he's the one with extraordinary power at this point in world history. His influence would be seen within the Roman Empire and in the world for the next 200 years. Such was the the strength of his power and his reign over the known world at the time. Like, his face was all over the newspapers of the day. He was was the man, Caesar Augustus. And with his coming to power, as I said, the the Roman Empire grows and and flourishes and, and extends its reign all over the world. And here we have him consolidating his power. He sends out for this, this decree that a censor should be taken of the entire Roman world. He wants to know, like, how far is the reach of my power? How much wealth do I have? How much authority have I got? He's never heard of Joseph and Mary, a young pregnant couple from this backwater town of Nazareth. Nor does he care about their travel plans. And it looks like Caesar Augustus is the one calling the shots, which forces this couple to move. But who's really in control? What does Luke want us to see about the travel plans? Well, if you've read chapters 1 and 2 of Luke's Gospel, which you can read later if you like, you'll know that these, this, this nativity story comes in the context of Luke saying all of God's promises are now being fulfilled. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... David, Moses, all of that. All of that story is is coming to climax. And down in verse 4, Luke tells us, he he wants us thinking about David, doesn't he? 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belongs to the house and the line of David. <coughs> Luke wants us just remembering who Joseph is. You see, centuries before Caesar Augustus was just a twinkle in his father's eye, God promised that his rescuing king would come into the world in Bethlehem. You can read about that in the book of Micah. Augustus may be supremely powerful at this point in history, but Luke says it's the Lord who's reigning in this very ordinary story. He's sovereign. He's in control. Real decisions are being made by real world leaders with real consequences. But ultimately, they're playing their part in God's plan to bring his rescuer into the world. What's God like? Well, he's in control. He's sovereign. His purposes can't be thwarted. And I think that should bring us great comfort at this time of year. See, one of the reasons I guess we, we feel so anxious is because we know we're not really in control. And we keep being told to take control of our lives, don't we? But all of us know we've got very little influence over what actually happens to us. Very little influence at all. Uh, added to that, our newsfeed and our culture keeps telling us that the people that are in control is, well, it's the markets, or politicians, or the opinion makers, or, or big business. People, we, people and things that we don't have any control over. And Luke says, they're not in control. Not really. It's the Lord who reigns. It's not Putin, or Zelensky, or Biden, or Sunak. It's not big business, it's not Elon Musk, it's not Twitter and the opinions on there. Certainly those people make decisions that impact many people in all sorts of ways. Some for good, some for real evil. But for all their power, says Luke in verses 1 to 4, I think, it's the Lord who's reigning. He's fulfilling his purposes. History is not a collection of random events. And nor is it the result of some distant deity uninterested in the, in the details of our lives. Because look at where the gaze of this text is. Augustus makes his decree, but where's heaven's gaze fixed? It's on Joseph and Mary. And their travel plans. I mean, think of the chaos that this decree meant for Joseph and Mary. Pregnant, out in Nazareth. Fearful of the future, what will this mean for Joseph and Mary's reputation? This unexplained pregnancy. And now they've got to travel 90 miles uphill, is the geography, to Bethlehem. There's no Uber to catch. There's no train, well we can't catch trains anymore, but there's no train for them. Uh, there's no donkey in the text, by the way. It's likely they had to walk that 90 miles in the heat up to Bethlehem. But what we see as Luke describes these events is Joseph committed to his bride. He doesn't have to take Mary with him. 
it's only the males that had to register. So the fact that Mary is with him suggests that Joseph, at least, is he wants to protect her. Not leave her alone in Nazareth, but take him with her. Perhaps in Mary's mind as well, the reason she's willing to go and make the journey is because she knows God's promises that have been made to her about who this baby is and knows something of the Micah promise that, well, Bethlehem's the place to have this baby, whatever it's going to cost us. Later on in the text, we'll read that Mary treasured up all the things that happened to her in her heart. Like most mothers, she's banking the memories of what's going on, a lock of hair perhaps maybe a handful of straw from the manger. See, it seems like they're, they're, they're the whim of their circumstances. Caesar Augustus the one ruling, but really they're just trusting the Lord. In the chaos of what's going on in their lives, they're, they're resting in his promises, being obedient to the things that he said to them, confident of his control and providence in their story. It's the Lord who writes history. Sometimes to us, he writes with a crooked pencil, doesn't he? But it's it's his story. His story. I know for some of you this morning, feeling at the whim of those who are in power is a really significant reality in your life today. Feeling like your life has been ruined by others feeling lost, feeling like it's chaotic, circumstances just painful and difficult. Perhaps envious of those who seem to have it easy, the powerful and the wealthy. They seem to have all the control. And Luke says to each one of us this Christmas, no, the Lord reigns. The roads of travel are difficult, puzzling, painful, chaotic, but the Lord is up to something. Even when all is in darkness and heaven seems silent, he is working. His eyes are on his people. And we know that because of the second thing that happens in this story. Luke describes to us not just the reign of God, but the humiliation of God. The nativity scene is so familiar, isn't it? so normalised, so sanitised in our minds, we miss the astonishing reality that the one who named the stars and placed them in the universe just by speaking words is fast asleep under those same stars that he made. Or maybe crying. Like, I don't know. See, later on in this story, the angel will say to the shepherds that you'll find him in a feeding trough. And that will be a sign to you, says the angel to the shepherds. And not just a sign that, oh, this is the right baby, but a sign of who this baby will be for them. A sign that he came to serve them, not to be served. The Lord who reigns over history, who reigns over the decisions of the mighty and powerful, the the Lord who made everything, who owns everything, the one by whom and through whom all things were made, is curled up in a feeding trough. The eternal son of the father, (laughs) needing his own head held by Mary. It's remarkable humility. 
that God would give up his authority and his power and make himself so vulnerable. Take on our flesh. Uh, one writer put it like this. Such was the manner of his birth, he had put on our flesh so that he might empty himself for our sake. He was denied a place of hospitality among men that he might open heaven to us. Not only is a place to lodge, but an eternal homeland and an eternal inheritance to find rest. <coughs> See, in order to redeem and rescue the humanity that had rejected and rebelled against him, God enters into our humanity fully. So that that which is united to God now, humanity is united to God, can be saved by God. the wonderful truth of the incarnation. If we, if we miss it, if we lose one or the other, he's fully God and fully man. If we abandon one, we lose our salvation because as uh, uh, one ancient writer put, that which is not assumed is not healed. In other words, if he hasn't taken on our flesh, there is no rescue for us. He's taken on our humanity, our fleshiness, that he might redeem us. So as you read this ordinary story of God orchestrating history and having this baby lay in a manger, Luke says, Theophilus, be certain, God has come to rescue. He's humbled himself for you. Taken on the same flesh as you, your humanity, that, so that you might share in his to be redeemed humanity, which we read about in the rest of the gospel. Just hear that this morning. Just allow it to... The King of Heaven has come to serve you. Ben Martin, Katie Brownia, Kat Fairbrother, Broken Clicker, Tom Willis, Lizzie Morgan, Sam Russell, Matt Robson, has come to serve you. To give up everything. That you might get everything. Do you see the contrast between Caesar Augustus? Here he is, consolidating his power as he issues a decree. Look at my riches and my wealth and my power. And the eternal son of the father gives up his riches and his power so that his people might become rich. One causes his people to suffer that his power might be extended and one puts aside his power and suffers that his people might be healed. Here's the nativity. This is what God's like. Here's the good news this morning for people facing difficult and painful and dark and confusing moments in their lives. Christ is born for you. <coughs> You don't have to pay a play a game and let's pretend. You don't have to fill your Christmas with drink and food and TV to feel comfortable or cosy, to make life feel better, because the King of Heaven just loves you so much. Rest in that. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. No credit card bill for this. It's all yours. 
just have to take hold of it. It's not a distant king who can't identify, but he's your older brother. He's come to live the life you can't live. And to do that for you, and to die the death you deserve to die, so that he might share with you his new redeemed humanity forever. Look at the baby again. Comfort and joy. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, please would you help us to not be distracted by the tinsel and the uh, the emptiness of so much of this time of year. Please, instead of turning the, the heat up in our homes, would you turn the heat of your love up in our hearts that we might rest knowing that the King of Heaven came to serve us. 